As we begin our time together this morning, I just want to do a check-in with you all uh, to find out how well you've done this past week on initiating conversation with family, friends, and, and neighbors. So last week, as part of the message, we had uh, little cards, invite cards, and bundles of five. We challenge you to uh, pray over them and to engage into conversations with your friends, your family, and your neighbors attempting to, one, invite them to church, but even greater than the invitation is the opportunity for you to be able to share about what God means in your life and the role that Jesus plays in it. So just curious, for those of you that took cards and you engaged in at least one conversation this week and attempted to hand that individual an invitation to join you. If you did that this week, would you just stand where you're at, please? Just quickly, just stand. Just stand. All right, I want you to remain standing, right? Because I want to give you a word of encouragement. And then for the rest, hopefully give you a word of engagement as well. For those that took that risk this week and you had the conversation with individuals, you need to understand that not at all times did that conversation seem to be effective for you. Sometimes there's great resistance to it. Sometimes there's outright rejection of any type of invitation to church or an opportunity to talk about God. But you also need to know that's not your burden to bear let me share with you scripture stay standing don't sit down but it says in um, first corinthians first corinthians chapter three beginning in verse number five says what then is apollos what is paul servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth So neither he who plants nor he who wanders is anything or nothing, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. So don't get caught all up in the results. Don't get all beat up over the rejection. Because if you get down because of the rejection, then you'll also have the tendency to be overinflated in, in times of reception, right? It ain't about us. It has nothing to do with us. The goal is to engage this church into having conversations in this community about the life-changing power that Jesus brings into our lives. And so now you may be seated for everyone else. You took cards last week. You still have your stack of cards available to you. And if you've lost them or you don't know where they're at, we've got plenty more in the back. We'll always have them here. And we'll randomly do check-ins to see how well we're doing. My desire is to help equip us to be able to have the conversations that we desperately need to be having. It doesn't take a lot of effort in order for us to wake up and to look around in our community and just see how broken and desperate it is. And for those of us who have been changed, 
for those of us who have a new life in Jesus Christ, then how wonderful it would be if we took the message of hope that Christ has to offer and we share it with everyone or anyone that would potentially even listen to us. What a great week this past week was. The opportunity to engage in conversation, the launching of a brand new church in this community that happened on Thursday night. I'm telling you all, this was a great week. (laughs) Through your generous love offering this past week, uh, we were able to purchase uh, right at uh, 14 cases of Bibles uh, to bless Recovery Church with. And when we begin to run out of those Bibles, we'll come back and we'll say that we need more. I want to invite you to take your Bible and open them up to Matthew chapter 6. This morning we're going to begin a new message series called Blessed. It is a series over the Beatitudes that are mentioned here in Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes, which someone uh, at one point has called the beautiful attitudes of the children of God. I love that definition. The beautiful attitudes of the children of God. In this section, we'll see eight Beatitudes. The first Beatitude and the last Beatitude, they each end with the same reward, the kingdom of heaven which according to the writing style of that time means that everything that's contained within it all deal with the very same theme. So what we see is the first four of the Beatitudes help us to focus about our relationship to God, and then the last four Beatitudes help us to focus on our relationships one to another. And so before we begin to look at any of this, let me ask you, I know it's a random question, but how many of you have ever heard of the name uh, Mickey Cohen? Some of you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mickey Cohen was a notorious mobster back in the day. He was a a flamboyant criminal, a a big-time gangster from the the 30s and and 60s is really when he was kind of like uh, prominent, if you will. And and so perhaps some of you that have heard of Mickey Cohen have actually heard about his conversion to Christianity. Or maybe you hadn't. Apparently the story goes a little bit like this. At the height of his career, Mickey was persuaded to attend an evangelistic service. And at that service, he showed a surprisingly interested outtake on Christianity itself. So he seemed somewhat intrigued about what Christianity is and what it has to offer. And so hearing of this and then realizing uh, just uh, what a great influence a converted uh, mobster like like Cohen could have uh, on the world for the glory of God, some prominent Christian leaders began to take a personal interest in Mickey Cohen. So much so that they personally met with him in an effort to try to convince him to give his life over to Jesus. And then one day, Mickey reportedly confessed that he himself was a Christian. And so hopes ran high among his believing acquaintances 
But with the passing of time, no one could detect any real change in Mickey's life. So finally, some people had the courage to confront him with the reality that being a Christian meant that he would have to make some serious changes, serious changes with his life, serious changes with his friends, and obviously serious changes with the work that he was engaged in. To which Mickey had this to say. He said, you never told me that I had to give up my career. You never told me I had to give up my friends. There are Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? If I have to give up all of that, if that's Christianity, count me out. And we laugh and we chuckle. But the absurdity of what happened to Mickey Cohen dramatically underscores what is happening to many people today. Many people have supposedly accepted Christ, and yet they continue to live their lives as though God never exists. They have never truly experienced the poverty of spirit And according to the Beatitudes, this is the first Beatitude, and this is the initial ground for entering into the kingdom of heaven. With your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, let's look at the first three verses this morning. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me back up to verse number one. So he sees a crowd, and he goes up to a mountain, and then he sits down, and he's speaking directly to his disciples. And so what we have here is the introduction that's going to set the stage for what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus' primary audience for the Sermon of the Mount, was who? His disciples. But something beautiful happens here. Uh, turn with me just a page over, I'm sure, to uh, chapter 7. So the Sermon of the Mount is chapter 5, chapter 6, and, and chapter 7. And then notice in verse number 28, it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. The crowds were astonished. Who was Jesus teaching to? Yeah, it's still the same answer as the last time. Yeah, the disciples, right? But now we see that the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He's teaching them as one who has authority, not as their scribes. When Jesus is speaking there uh, uh, on the mountain, there's like two circles, if you will. You have the inner circle that he was addressing, which was his disciples. And then you had an outer circle of individuals that were represented by the crowd. Now, it is clear, when you read uh, chapter 7, verse number 28, it's clear that the crowd was listening to what Jesus had to say to his disciples. And likewise, it's clear that Jesus wanted them to listen, even though he was speaking primarily to his disciples. 
Why do I think this is so interesting? Why, why are we spending a moment to chase this rabbit? Because I think this is a, a reflection of what our church services are all about. The message of, of, of the Lord that I bring or that others bring on, on a weekly basis is, is prepared ultimately in an effort to try to feed, strengthen, encourage uh, the worship and, and, and life of God's people. That's the primary purpose. But that's not the only purpose. Our prayer is that we will also invite the curious. We'll invite uh, the skeptical. That there might be uh, the cynical among us. Uh, that there, there might even be searchers among, the, among us. That, that, that here in this gathering, that there might even be the apathetic here among us. And that's a beautiful thing, right? So what we, what we prepare to deliver to, to God's people to strengthen, to encourage, and to equip, we do this in an effort so that the others, the crowd, might listen and hear the Word of God and also make life-changing decisions based upon the teaching of God's Word. And so here we have the stage set for the Beatitudes. So back to chapter 5. The first beatitude that we'll unpack. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now each of the eight beatitudes opens with the word blessed. Therefore, it is essential that we understand what this word actually means. It's so essential because it bears on everything that is going to be said over the course of these eight weeks. And contrary to popular opinion, even though many translations render it this way, blessed does not mean happy. At least in the way that we understand happiness. See, happiness is a subjective state. It's a feeling. And Jesus isn't describing how people feel No, he's making an objective statement about what God thinks about them. And so, blessed is a positive judgment by God on an individual. And so, blessed means to be approved or to find approval. So when God blesses us, He approves us. And so as we begin the study of the Beatitudes... We must realize that if God's blessing, if God's approval means more to us than anything else, if God's approval means more to us than the approval of our friends, the approval of our spouses, the approval of our family members, if God's blessing means, means more to us than the approval of business acquaintances, then the Beatitudes are going to have to penetrate our hearts in the deepest of ways. So let me ask you, do you really want God's approval more than you want anything else? I'm not asking you, do you want to be happy? I don't care if you want to be happy. 
I'm not interested in equipping you for the pursuit of happiness. I'm only interested in equipping you for the pursuit of holiness. Do you want God's approval more than anything else? If so, you're going to have to heed. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to live out this first beatitude. Here God gives us the condition of His approval in just three words. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Approved are the poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Now the Greek word poor is the word tokos. It, it, it gives us some insight. In classical Greek, this word came, came to mean someone who, who crutches about. Someone who is wretchedly and desperately poor. It is someone who is so poor that they're filled with so much shame that as they go about and beg for a living, beg for assistance, they can't even lift their head up to look at those to whom they're begging from. They're so desperate. That, that's what poor means. They're fully dependent upon the giving of others. They cannot survive without help from the outside. Therefore, an excellent translation would be beggarly poor. So if we take this meaning from the word poor and we combine it with the words in spirit, then we have the idea that blessed or approved are the beggarly poor in spirit. In other words, Blessed are those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they realize that they must have help from an outside source. So being poor in spirit is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. It is the awareness and the admission that we are utterly Sinful. The poor in spirit see themselves as being spiritually needy. My favorite rendering to this verse actually comes from uh, the God's Word translation. It renders chapter 5, verse number 3 this way. Blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of God belongs to them. This is the first step, is the recognition that we are spiritually helpless. And this goes so much further than simply walking an aisle. It goes way beyond raising a hand during a prayer. It goes beyond signing a decision card. It goes well beyond um, praying a sinner's prayer. The danger with drawing people to walk down an aisle or to sign a decision card or to raise a hand or to repeat a prayer that's found nowhere in Scripture, the danger in all of that is giving people the false sense of security 
when in fact they've never even experienced the desperation and the awareness of what their sinful state has done with their original intended relationship with God. So the changeless truth is this. No one can come to God without having a a poverty of their spirit. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So, if salvation is grace alone through faith alone, then poverty of spirit, I would say, is the posture of faith. So God pours out His grace to the spiritually bankrupt. For, for only they are open to believe and to receive His grace and His salvation. No one can enter into the kingdom of heaven without first and foremost being poor in spirit. Each one of these beatitudes are going to build upon the other. So that's why it says, here's a preview. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually desperate. And then blessed are those who mourn. What are they mourning over? And they're mourning over their sinful condition. They're mourning over the realization that they are spiritually bankrupt. Each one of these will build upon the next. And so look at the statement of the reward. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is, is a phrase that is only found in Matthew's writing. He, he's the only one that uses this phrase. Now, we've probably heard the phrase kingdom of God. That phrase is used 68 times in 10 different books in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven occurs only 32 times. And it's found only in the Gospel of Matthew. And sometimes Matthew uses interchangeably the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Why do I give you those numbers? I just think they're interesting. I do. I find it fascinating. So Matthew is saying that for those who recognize their spiritual desperation, then they find approval to God because they're going to proceed through the, through the next step. They're going to mourn and they're going to repent and all of that. So they're going to receive the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is the reward for beatitude number one and it's the reward for beatitude number eight. And then if you look at the rewards for beatitudes two through seven, you're going to see that that is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. How it gets played out into a life of a believer. So what this is saying is that the poor in spirit enjoy the fellowship of God because their attention is placed upon Him, not on themselves. This reward, the kingdom of heaven, is both future tense and present tense. It is present tense because all who have life are now in the kingdom. The kingdom now. We've crossed over from death unto life. Eternal life. 
from John 3.16. says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall now perish but have everlasting life. Not will have everlasting life, but have already received everlasting life. So we cross over from death unto life. We are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Right now. That's positionally, that's how God sees us as being seated with His Son in the heavenly places. You can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6. And you'll see that reference there. So talking about the present tense, we are now subjects of Christ right now. We're overcomers today. We're, we're, we're kingdom of priests right here, right now. Which means our weakness is an occasion for the power of God. Our inadequacies are an opportunity for His adequacies to express and be lived out in and through us. My personal favorite, our inarticulation, I struggle with that all the time, is an opportunity for God to articulate in and through our lives. Our fear, our cowardice, is an opportunity for God's confidence to be played in and through our lives. So the crucial teaching or the supreme lesson of this beatitude is that without being poor in spirit, no one, no one can enter into the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles now and turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 18. I had this thought earlier this morning, and so... Let me just show you something here. In Luke chapter 18. Jesus shares with us a parable that I believe serves as a perfect example of what it looks like and what it means to be poor in spirit. So I just want to take a moment just to read through that example with us. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse number 9. So he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's the parable, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, what does it say next? Would not even lift his eyes to heaven. It's that position. Beggarly poor. Wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Those who belong to the kingdom of God are the ones that recognize that they are spiritually sick and they turn to Jesus to make Him well. 
Luke also writes in Luke chapter 5, the beautiful truth of where Jesus placed his attention. Luke chapter 5, I'll start reading in verse number 27. It says, after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at, at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love that picture of the mission and the ministry of our Lord which is a picture of what we should be about. That, that we would love to invest our time, love to invest our resources when necessary to, to, to open up channels of, of communication with sinners and tax collectors so that we can share with them the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. The question I think that we each need to consider is have you truly experienced being poor in spirit? Can you say nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling? Does that describe who you are today? Is that the cry of your heart? Or Are you in danger of being a church attender without Christ in your life? A Christless Christian. Mm. What an oxymoron that is. Have you fully submitted and surrendered your life unto His care and control? Do you today recognize the fact that without Christ, there's no hope of heaven? Is He the source of your confidence today? Is He the source of your strength today? Are you weary? Are you you heavy laden? Do you have so much frustration in your life that you don't know what to do with you? Are you beggarly poor in spirit so much so that you're simply able to lift your requests up to God and say, Father, help me? Or are you in danger of being more like a Pharisee or proud and, and puffed up looking down your nose at the lives of other people, writing them off as helpless and not willing to engage in conversations for them or with them? Are you truly, or have you experienced being poor in spirit? This is the most crucial thing for us to consider as we begin this new series. Because without experiencing this first step, then you're never going to be able to experience uh, the Beatitudes 2 through 8. 
it all begins with recognizing our position before a holy and righteous God. Have you submitted and surrendered your life unto Jesus? If so, and you're a believer, you're a child of God, are you fully submitting and surrendering all aspects of your life unto him? Are you just trying to receive the blessings of God without having to live out the standards that God has set for us? So many times I think Christians kind of view Christianity as though they're going to a buffet bar. You know, you go to lunch, and you go to buffets, and then the beauty of buffets is you get to pick and choose the things that you like. And so if you're wise in going to the buffet, you do a walk by the dessert area first. And you load up on sweets, and the things that you, you know, taste good, and then you'll go back and you'll pick and choose the meat that you want, or, or you know, some people will go to the salad bar first. I don't understand you. Why waste valuable space on salad and carrots and when there could be like meat and ribs, chicken, bacon in there? I don't know. And now we're preaching there. But so many of us treat Christianity as though we're at a buffet. And we pick and choose what we want out of God's Word, the things that we like or the things that sound good to us, and we ignore everything else that God calls us and commands us to do. And we say, well, we'll leave that for somebody else to do. That's not the way it works. Total surrender means you give everything to Jesus. Have you? I hope so. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. And Father, thank you for the opportunities that lie ahead of us. In this moment, Father, I pray that we would be honest about our relationship with you. Some of us have never experienced that first step that says, I am desperate. I am spiritually depleted. I know that without Jesus in my life, I have no hope of heaven. I submit and surrender my life unto him. I receive him as both Lord and Savior. And then this room is filled with with your children. I know that, Father. But if we're honest, we'd admit that we're, we're quite disobedient, quite stubborn, filled with pride. Father, I pray that your spirit would break through that pride today. Help us to understand your your perfect call in our lives. Help us to see the things that we're doing that displease you. Help us to see the things that we've failed to do that you've called us to do. And in all things, Father, help us to, to repent, to seek to glorify you in all that we do and all that we say. And your blessings upon this time. And may we leave here today approved by you. In Christ's name I pray.